0: four verse 25, you would uh, please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, do honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up and fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. I had a chuckle down in the kitchen just a moment ago. Brother Frank, I went down there to get some water. We had no water. and I, I thought of the time that someone brought you a pouch of Capri Sun and you were trying to jam the, uh, the straw into it. I, I chuckled at myself. It is good to be here this morning. I come this morning. Uh, I would say this. Probably no message in the last um, year for sure in my own life have I felt God use this passage to speak to me, uh, my, that's always my hope and my prayer that when I come to God's Word, to study God's Word uh, for the people of God, that it, it's got to come to me first. And I, I feel like and if, over the last year, no message has hit me more than this message alone. And so I want to speak uh, to you and over to you from that regard, that, to know that this is for me probably more than anyone else uh, here in the building. We are in the book of Ephesians. We've been journeying our way through, our series is called Ecclesia. Ecclesia means the called out ones that from the foundation of time, God had a plan of redemption, that he would gather people to himself to be the church, and that the church would get to to come to know him fully, and then that they would be commissioned by God to go and make him known. And so we we see probably no other book in the New Testament has the details of what the church is about than, than the book of Ephesians. And so Paul masterfully in the first three chapters has laid out the theology for the church, how the church is to operate in our understanding of who God is. That's what the word theology means, our understanding of God. And then in chapter 4, 5, and 6, we, we're beginning to talk about what, how does our theology impact our practical lives? Like if our lives aren't shaped by our theology, then, then our theology's pretty weak, is it not? If our lives aren't changed by what we know to be true about God, then I would say we don't really know who God is. And that's what Paul has been saying here in these, uh, this chapter 4. We'll end today in chapter 4. And so he's talked to us a, a, about unity. So our theology will impact our unity as a body. And then last week and this week we talked about, okay, it's not just the unity it's got to impact, it's got to impact us personally. He's going to start talking to the believer individually. And so last week we looked at the new walk, how we're to walk in the newness of Christ since God called us to himself. We've been placed in Christ Jesus. And this morning the the title of the message is A New Life. He's going to look at four things for practical ways that we're to live out our theology of who God is. so He's going to tell us the, the, the negative, but then he's going to give us a positive. So, so the four things are this. He's going to talk to us about lying. He's going to talk to us about anger. He's going to talk to us about stealing. And he's going to talk to us about our mouths. And then lastly, in verses 31 and 32, he's going to say how all that is going to be changed uh, by the way we live our lives. And so let's look together at the first one lying. If we're to live out our lives practically, he says, therefore, having put away, we looked at the word put away last week. That means to disrobe or to get rid of. When we uh, soil our clothes, we get rid of them. We don't go clean them up, we get rid of them as if they're no more. And so Paul is saying to us, when we're new creatures, The old is put away. What he's saying is the old sin nature, what Christ did for you and me at our conversions. He took, he did it. Hear me loud and clear. He's the one that took our old clothes and put them away. That's called justification. I I read this week in a commentary, I, I, I love the idea. Like God called us to a new life. He's not calling us to a new life. At the moment of your conversion, you are a new creation. Now, there is sanctification that goes on, but he's not continuing to make us new. At the moment you gave your life to Christ, you became a new believer, a new creation. The old is gone, and the new is here. And so he says, now that he's not saying you put it away, he said Christ put it away for you. Therefore, Having put away, or been put away, Christ put it away, he says this, put away all falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. So the first thing he tells us to do is put away lying. Put, Put away lying. When you became a new believer, lying ought to stop, is what Paul is saying to us. Why would he start there? I believe he starts there because there can be no unity if there's lying in the body. We're going to see. These are going to be on. They're going to build on top of each other. And, and so he says, put away lying. And he says, start telling the truth to one another. Here's the key in all of it. It's in tell the truth to his neighbor. For we are members of what? One. We are one another the the idea is this think of it this way if your brain if we're all one body that's what he tells us in corinthians right We're the body of christ made uh, made up of many parts him being the head of all parts but think of our own bodies for a moment what would happen if the brain began to lie to the hand like if i go to touch a hot stove and my brain begins to lie to my hand and says hey that's not really hot My hand is going to respond to touching the heat. I only uh, don't touch the heat because my mind is telling me the truth about what's about to happen. Or any way you put the body in motion. If the body is not living congruently and honestly with itself, then we got major problems within our body, do we not? I'm talking about our fleshly body. If, If my brain begins to tell my foot to do something it's not supposed to do i'm going to stumble and fall all over the place if i begin to walk upstairs and my brain says hey those aren't really steps it's flat surface i'm going to fall and anyone ever done that coming out into the dark like my brain my eyes are lying to me because i can't see the step and i i anyone ever just look like a? am well, that's what's happening and paul is saying to us the metaphor is the same If we're all one body, we all need one another to tell us the truth. Now, here's the reality of telling the truth. I don't think that we lie blatantly, church. I I think we lie because we don't really want to hurt one another's feelings. So we'd rather not tell the truth. Because the telling the truth is going to hurt. Am I the only one that someone's been told the truth and it hurts? And so my fear is we don't tell the truth because of our fear it's going to hurt someone, and yet we live in a lie by not telling each other what's really going on. If you see something in my life, and you don't tell me what's going on that you see, if you don't point out my blind spots in my life, then you're lying to me, and I will stumble along the way. You see, what detriment would it be if I did not lead Tennyson and Cedar in this way? Now, it comes with a whole lot of headaches, a whole lot of tears, and a whole lot of screaming when I tell them the truth, and I tell it to them in love. Now, what Paul is saying to us out the gates, hey, church, start telling each other the truth. Don't lie to each other. I think we read the text and we think blatant lies. But, but I think it's the lies, that, the, the, the lack of truth that we tell that becomes the lie. So that's the first one he tells us. Speak the truth. So he tells us not to lie, to speak the truth. Well, what's the truth? See, see Paul says it this way in another passage. Sings, sing hymns over one another. Tell the truth and love to one another. So, So my hope is that you know the truth and that I know the truth and I can speak the truth over you. See, anything that I would speak over you that doesn't come from this is a lie. And my great fear, what's infiltrating the church right now is that there's a lot of good pop culture for instance, the mullet-wearing pastor, if you will, in Texas. It sounds real good. It sounds real clever. It sounds real catchy. Your best life now. Who doesn't want your best life now? That's not the truth. Like, it's, it's spreading across Africa in droves. Hey, if you just come to Jesus, then you'll get rich. Well, how come Asia and Africa are the number one spread of the gospel, and yet they continue to be the poor? Africa continues to be the poorest continent because that's not true. That's nowhere in God's word does it say, "Hey, if you come to know Him, you're going to be rich." It sounds good, but that's not the truth. And so Paul is pleading with us: put away all falsehood and get back to this that's the first one he then says this in verse 26 26 so he t- deals with anger now he says this be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to de- to the devil so now he's going to go to anger you see we all know we were all saying well anger isn't the sin Jesus went into the temple and Jesus flipped over the tables. That was the anger of Christ. Christ saw what was going on in the temple and he was angry that the people uh, outside of the temple were uh, putting way too much taxes on the things around the temple that wasn't enabling the people of God to go into the temple of God to worship God. And so Jesus goes in and he flips over the table because he was angry that people were preventing people to come into the temple of God to worship god you see it was the anger of christ that took christ all the way to the cross christ was angry he had passion to do something different to make a change that's anger a passion for change we see that throughout the bible angry men stood for something so it's not anger is not the sin God calls us in this passage, be angry and do not sin. And then he says this. And and this week it hit me like a two by four on my forehead. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I've always read that verse and always thought of that verse as don't let the sun go down on your conflict. Like, if you have something against somebody else, don't go to bed without you making it right with the other person. That's not what the text says. The text says don't let the sun go down on your anger, not on your conflict. What, what is Paul saying? He's saying you need to deal with whatever's going on in your heart first before you deal outwardly with the other person. Anyone ever tried to uh, hold that verse to be true? Don't let the sun go down on your anger with your spouse does it not get worse and then by four o'clock in the morning your eyes are droopy and man you're saying things that don't even make sense and hurt hurting the other person well what paul is saying deal with it within you first don't let the sun go down on your anger he doesn't say let don't let the sun go down on your conflict so you and your wife can go to bed as long as you don't go to bed with your anger i just wonder how often in my life i think i have resolved the conflict but the heart of the matter has not changed like i've resolved the conflict with jenny because we're no longer fighting but i go to bed thinking i've won Or I've gone to bed with, man, I'll just deal with it later. I'll just stop talking. If I just stop talking, the fight will be over. Anyone done that before? Well, that's not letting, that's letting the sun go down on my anger. And so much true here in the church. But it goes back to lying. You see, if I'm not telling the truth out loud to myself about what's really going on in me, then I go to bed angry. And what happens with anger is it gives a foothold to Satan because what happens if I don't deal with anger, we'll see it later on in the passage. I get bitter. I get resentful. And what started off as a passionate anger that has not been dealt with gives a foothold to Satan to begin to speak lies into my heart and it becomes bitterness. It becomes resentful. I begin to slander. Now, I, I'm not the type of guy to slander outwardly, but I slander, slander inwardly. Am I the only one? Like, I begin to talk to you, and you're not even in the room. And I get trapped in my own mind. And I'm having a conversation with you, and you're not even in the building. That started with anger. That wasn't dealt with. And all of a sudden, I've allowed anger to give way to Satan. And Satan has now robbed me from all my joys, all my pleasures, all my delights, because I'm in my own head and I'm in my own heart. And so Paul says, don't go to bed angry. Deal with it between you and God and be resolved in your own heart with anger, whether the conflict is resolved or not. Because if you go to bed and in your own life, your own heart is resolved around your anger, you'll look at your spouse differently in the morning. You'll look at your coworker differently. You'll look at your children differently. You'll look at you fill in the blank differently. You see, anger undealt with will always lead to death. It, 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 we'll see it here in a moment. It will always lead to being malice. And malice just means pure evil. You you do sociology on people. But you trace all their stuff all the way back. It always starts from a healthy place. But undealt with along the journey. It gets to a place that has brought death. You you see, for me and my own story, it, it was on a plane when I was abandoned. And I had the thought, I will never feel this way again. I was angry at my parents that they abandoned me at an airport. I was angry. But I had no one to tell it to. I had no outlet to talk about it. I had no one to share it with. I didn't have a God to redeem it at the time. I was not a, a believer. And that, over the course of the next 15 years, led to a place of wanting to, what, medicate how angry was at my parents. You see, I, I didn't have a lust problem. I had a dealt with unanger anger problem that led to let lust, that led to really a decay of my soul. But it started with anger. It started on that plane at 15, having that thought, man, I will never, ever do this to someone in my whole life. And God forbid it ever happened to me again. But it led night after night after night after night of going to bed angry. Then he says to us, and I love this next one, He says in verse 27, and give no opportunity, uh, let uh, verse 28, excuse me, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. You see, in that culture, in that day, th- being a, th- a thief was prevalent, even within the te- context of the church. Like, people would get saved and they would get saved from a lot of things, but they had this need for more and more and more, and so they just began to steal. And so Paul's going to talk to them about, hey, your need to steal really reveals your heart or what you believe to be true about God. Do you really believe God's going to provide everything for you? You see, stealing says he's not. If I steal, I don't believe that God's going to provide all that he's going to provide for me. Is that not the basic of stealing? I was reading and studying and uh, do you know the reason for uh, the the reason that things are so expensive? Stealing. Stealing. And and here's the deal. It's not people going into the store stealing. It's the employees who steal. 60% of all theft that happens happens because of an employee in the building. So if you just think, if, man, people would just stop stealing, our our economics would fall and we'd be able to provide for ourselves. But it's our lack of security in who God is, it's our lack of security that God's going to provide for us that we take things into our own hands. And so we steal because we don't believe God to be God. And then he says this to the thief, rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. And then there's this catch at the end. He's telling us to work and work hard. Work hard doing good things. But what he says is, don't work hard doing good things for yourself. You see that in the passage? How do, how do we see that in the passage? He's not telling us to store up treasures for ourselves. Don't build more barns. He says that he may have something to share with anyone in need so we work hard we gather resources not for ourselves to hoard it to ourselves but we gather to give is that not what Christ did for us he gave it all for us and so Paul is saying don't be a thief trust God and in trusting God God's going to bless you when he blesses you you go and turn and bless other people And so my f- great fear for us is be, we're not thieves. But we're thieves because we're hoarders. We hoard, we hoard and we hoard and we hoard and we hoard and we hoard. And then we don't give it away to other people. That's just as much as being a thief. That's not blessing others with what God has blessed you with. What if God was that way to us? His greatest blessing was his greatest sacrifice. Was it not? God himself... God's greatest blessing was his son, and he gave his son for us. He killed his own son. But that was his greatest gift was also his greatest sacrifice to us. And that was what Paul is saying to us. Hey, work hard. Work with all your might so that you can give to other people. Is that not what they did in Acts chapter 2? In Acts chapter 2, the, 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 the people of God came around, and they literally did this. They came around, and they put all their belongings in the middle. And then anyone who had need came and got out of the pile. And what do we see happen in the early church? Because of the great sacrifice of the great, uh, our great forefathers. Man, God used them in powerful ways, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in, in a short amount of time. Came to know Christ. But it was their great sacrifice that led to a great revival. And I just wonder, church, what if we began to give sacrificially of our time, of our resources, of our energy, of our prayers, of our you fill in the blank? Would we see a great revival? My great fear is we live as thieves who hoard and hoard and hoard and hoard. hoard And don't give what God's blessing is that he gave to us. And then he says this in verse 29 about our words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such for the building up and fit for occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed in the day of redemption. See, of all the things he's, told us so far the one place that grieves the holy spirit is our mouths like all the other ones he hadn't talked about grieving the holy spirit but now he talks about our mouths grieving the holy spirit and he tells us to not let any corruptive things come out of our you know what the word corrupt means unwholesome means in this passage it means rotten don't let any rotten thing come out of your mouth anybody ever eaten a rotten tomato we're in the south i hope a couple of us anybody ever smelled a rotten egg anyone ever bitten to a rotten apple like is it not just disgusting and that's what paul is using don't let any rottenness come out of your mouth how come because if you put a rotten thing next to a fresh thing what happens to the fresh thing does the fresh thing make the rotten thing fresh no, it rottens the fresh thing. And so Paul was saying, when you speak rottenness over people, they become rotten as well. So don't let any rottenness come out of your mouth. And then he says three things. Do this instead. He says, use your words this way. Don't let anything come out of your mouth. Right? In Matthew chapter 15, 18, Jesus says it this way. What comes out of your mouth is really coming out of your heart. Like what you're speaking reveals where your heart is. When I read that this week, my heart was quickened to the chase. Don't let anything come out of your mouth because it reveals the heart. And then James says it this way in James chapter 3. He said the tongue or the mouth gives a spark and then what does it do the spark gives flame to a forest one spark sets a forest on fire how true with our mouths that he says this instead of speaking this way do these three things but only do such that is good for building up the first thing he says Use your mouth to edify. Use your mouth to encourage. Use your words to build up, not tear down. That's the first one. And then he says, use your mouths that fit the occasion. What does he mean by that? I think what he means by that and what the, the scholars say is this. Anyone been talking to somebody and you say something too quick You're like, oh, man, I wish I could take that back. That's what Paul is saying. Only use your words that fit the occasion. Because are we not tempted to gossip about other people? And so what Paul was saying to us is, hey, if what you're about to say doesn't build up and doesn't fit the conversation, don't say it at all. And then lastly, he says this. So build up, make sure what you're saying fits the conversation, that it may what? Give grace to those who hear. The last thing with our words are to be gracious to one another. Not harsh. Grace are in everything that we say, gracious to one another. And then Paul goes on to say it this way. As he ends this chapter, what it looks like to live a new life and our understanding of who God is. He says this in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And so he goes one by one by one by one by one. They build on top of each other. The the word bitterness just means resentment put away all resentment. Resentment just stems from hurt. We all know that hurt people hurt people. Anyone heard that before? Well, if I don't deal with my hurt, then I'm going to become bitter. And if I become bitter, I become resentful. And when I become resentful, I I begin to want to find ways to hurt you. And if we don't deal with our resentment, if we don't deal with our bitterness, where does our bitterness lead to? It leads to wrath. Wrath simply means our rage. That's when we go from it becoming internal to becoming external. Like, I'm hurting, and now I want to hurt you, and I'll do anything I can to hurt you. That's rage. And then he says, if we don't deal with our rage, our rage turns into anger. Anger. Anger is the external implications of not dealing with our resentment and our wrath. And then he s- goes on to clamor. Clamor simply means the public outburst of another person. That's gossip. And then he says, your clamor will turn into slander. Slander in the Greek means this, this means our uh, blasphemy or speaking lies against another person. And then he says it this way. If you don't deal with your slander, you will end up in malice. And malice simply means evil. But see where it started? It started with bitterness. Undoubted bitterness will always lead to pure evil. And so Paul is saying to us, hey, put it all away. Let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, slander be put away from you along with malice. And how are we to do that? Verse 32. We're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another as Christ As God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, we're reminded of the kindness of God. That God sent his only son when we were yet sinners to die for us. That's the kindness of God. You see, it's God's... uh, Unless we're God's people, our, our destiny is God's wrath. But the kindness of God led us to the forgiveness and the tenderheartedness of God. While we were yet sinners, he died and forgave us. And so we do all these things as a reminder of what Christ has done for us. And so I ask the question to each of us this morning. Are we kind to one another? Are we tender-hearted to one another? Do we forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you? I said at the beginning of this message, this message, probably no other message has hit me in the heart than this message. So I met with the deacons this morning to say this to each of you. i come to ask for your forgiveness. Over the last month, I have led from a place from this pulpit with bitterness and frustration. And out of leading from this pulpit with bitterness and frustration, I have said some things I do not regret saying, but I regret from where they came from. They came from a place of bitterness and frustration. And God has not called the pastor to ever lead with bitterness or frustration. I cannot lead well from a place of bitterness and frustration. You cannot lead people in that way. That causes as much harm to people. And so this morning I come and I ask you to forgive me of that. To, to forgive me from using this pulpit to lead with frustration rather than leading with kindness, tenderheartedness, and love. You see, I don't believe that the mission of God has changed. I don't believe the call of God for Powell's Chapel has changed. The call of Powell's Chapel is to know him with all of our hearts and to make him known with all of our hearts. But over the last month, my frustration with not seeing what God is doing and the results of that have led to doing things that have been very harmful to the body. And so for me, I beg you for your forgiveness. And I commit to you today to lead with all of my heart from a place of tenderness, love, and compassion. I love Powell's Chapel. My life in the last six years have been hell. But the one place outside of my marriage and outside of my family that have brought great joy is leading the people of God at Powell's Chapel. I love this place. I'm going nowhere. I don't want to go anywhere. Matter of fact, I quit my job on Thursday so that I could come here and give you more time and more energy and more effort. And so with that, I'm asking you, I beg you to forgive me and to allow me, what I said a few weeks ago, to let me lead you from a place of tenderness and kindness and joy, not dragging anyone along, to lead from a place of humility. So that we all could give the glory to God for what he wants to do in this place. And so I beg you this morning for your forgiveness. Leading you in a harmful way. Let me pray for us and over us. God, you have called me to be the pastor and the shepherd of your people. Just as confessing it to them, your people today, I confess to you that I have led from a place of bitterness and frustration. And God, that is not from you. And I apologize to you and I apologize to your people. God, I pray that we would be a body that really would, God. Be marked with kindness to one another, tenderheartedness to one another, forgiveness to one another. And God, out of that, the people that are far from you would see something different in each of us, the children of God. And out of how we relate to one another and care for one another and forgive one another lost people would say what is that and we could point back to your saving work on the cross because the cross shows us what it means to have kindness tenderheartedness, heartedness and forgiveness and so i pray for that god for us